Podcast family, thanks for tuning in. It's Miller. We are on part three of Forgiveness, the journey home. We look at Luke 15, verse 11, a man had two sons. And the father's response to both of those sons is the father's response to us. One son was in the estate, on the estate, in the house, working for the father, but not connected to him. The other son was a wreck, rebellious in the far country. He returns home, but the father meets both sons right where they're at. His heart is on display, and I pray it's on display for you as you listen to this very intimate story that I share from 2018. I got reconciled through uh, a diagnosis that an old coach had, a coach that actually hurt me pretty deeply. And uh, I pray that you're blessed by that story. It is pretty epic for me personally. And so it's near and dear to me. Uh, But we love you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I want to welcome everyone again to the upper room. We're so honored that you're here this morning and that uh, you would spend Father's Day. I want to wish every father a happy Father's Day. Um, What a joy it is to celebrate dads and to celebrate fathers. Um, And we all have a very good heavenly father, a perfect heavenly father. I think every day in heaven is Father's Day. Amen. (laughs) That's such a preacher thing to say, isn't it? But it's true. Um, Hey, we wanted just to have a little family talk um, for about 10 minutes uh, on our journey in getting into our new property. So I know we're really excited. Uh, We presented um, this property back in 2021. Believe it or not, it's been over two years. I know someone laughed. It has been a minute um, and everything has taken just a little bit longer uh, than we uh, thought. But we know God's fingerprints have been uh, on this search and process and discovery of this property um, since we found it. Um, You may recall that I met the man that sold us uh, this property in the old city in Jerusalem. We were in the Jewish quarter uh, having lunch and I had never met him before, did not know who he was, asked him where he was from and he said, I'm from the design district, which if you don't know, you're in the design district right now. And you may have noticed driving in, there are no homes in the design district, there are only warehouses. And him and his wife had remodeled a warehouse uh, about a quarter mile from here. And um, I thought, man, well, I'm a pastor in the design district. What do you do? And he said, I'm in commercial real estate. I said, I've been looking for a building for two years in that area. And, um, you know, if we found a building, it didn't have parking. If we found parking, there was no building. And uh, he looked up like this, and then he looked at me, and he pointed at me, and he goes, I've got your building. And uh, COVID hit. That was March of 2020. COVID hit. And uh, that summer, we toured the property for the first time, and that fall, we purchased it from um, this brother who gave us a discount of about a million dollars for the property. So we paid just, I think it was under five million for uh, the land alone. And uh, well, there's two buildings on it, but uh, the buildings were much older than we realized, which um, is another detail that we'll share later. But we've been on this journey with God and getting into the building. God brought uh, internationally known uh, design team uh, to study our culture and community, and they have just put a world-class uh, building together. And uh, we started 
Uh, I believe it was earlier this year construction started. It took around 10 months to get city permits, which was twice the time that we thought. And, uh, and there's some other details that I'll share uh, just about the expenses. But we just wanted to, to remind you of the journey that we're on and where we're at today. Uh, God's hand has been on this, honey. <laughs> honey, um, I was just remembering when, that, when we first started meeting with that design team, how they would their whole team would come in and just sit during prayer or during a service and just watch our community. Then they, then they would meet with our children's team. They would meet with our worship leaders and they would not wanna know like, well, how much space do you think you need for this? They would wanna know the heart. And they would, we would sit in meeting after meeting, there would be tears, there would be, and I'm thinking, wait, aren't you guys architects? Like, what are, what are we, what is this? but they were capturing the spirit of who we are, which was really cool. And I've just, I, I, as we lean into this, I just wanted to remind you, maybe you haven't known this yet, or you haven't been here long enough to know that the Lord called us to occupy urban downtown spaces. And so we were on a search for a building. We, we leased this, by the way, I don't know. I assume you know that we've been leasing this for about seven years. Since 16, yeah. um, And so he's called us to occupy urban downtown spaces and that makes finding a large building with a lot of parking that's not insanely expensive, very <laughs> challenging, right? But God, amen? Um, and, and so that was a divine set up. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I had a dream during that season. I'm not going to share the whole dream, but, but at the end of my dream, I was meeting with a real estate agent and I told the real estate agent, I need to buy this property for my dad. He has work to do here. And I pull out my checkbook and I wrote a check and it was for my dad to do work there. And I've just been thinking about how, you know, how one of the things the Lord shifted us when we come in here to worship, we talk about what, who it's for. Who is it for? It's for him, right? We don't come to worship so that we feel great or like pick the songs that we love. We come to give him something. And I've been thinking about this building being the same thing. Like this isn't, this isn't for my preference or what I would, you know, maybe we would go out to, I don't know, Forney or something <laughs> to find a building if it was up to us, but it's for him. And he has business and work to do in the downtown areas of our city. I think we should, I think Overflow should shout out. <laughs> They're like, yes. Uh, I didn't know you had an affinity for Forney. I don't, I don't. I, I, don't. Um, I, I Bless you, if, you, if you're driving from Forney, we, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, space has just been an issue. It's uh, always, um, so moving to see people in line at 8 a.m. But the goal in this new building is that you don't have to get here two hours early. Uh, There's plenty of space for everyone. Um, So one of the the dynamics too in Larissa's dream that she mentioned, um, which the Lord has spoken to us through, through dreams, not all the time, not every dream, but some of the dreams have definitely been from the Lord. And in that dream, uh, the building was in Sudan and uh, uh, you know how dreams sometimes it's a play on words, and the word Sudan actually means land of the blacks. And one of the, I think, awesome opportunities that we have is to reach the African-American community in Dallas. 
we are moving into an area that the back porch is predominantly African-American. And um, I, I am just so excited about the diversity. We are already very diverse, um, but I think this is gonna be such a cool way to bridge the north side of town, the south side of town, to extend the table of the Lord and to invite the city to come and dine on his presence. Literally a prayer house in the center of the city. Uh, it will be very unique to the city of Dallas, and I think this is gonna serve the urban downtown area and, uh, and reach even more millennials too. So um, there's a lot of vision behind this, and we are gearing up and excited. Uh, but let me, let me give you... Uh, some updates on the actual uh, site. So here's some pictures. Um, on the left is where we're at currently. So um, one of the issues with the building is it was a little older than we thought and needed more repairs than we thought. Um, they basically had to tear down most of the walls. I think they elevated the roof a little bit. Um, but uh, on the left is where we're at. On the right is where we're going. Uh, one of the cool dynamics of the new building is the outdoor room, which has that uh, canopy, um, which will be able to do a lot of life under that. Um, you can keep going. So that's just a side angle. There's our hands in rows. What's up? Shout out. <clears throat> there will be good coffee. Keep going, Jazz. And keep going. There we go. And this is, no. Um, so there's the outdoor room. You can just kind of fly through these. Uh, So there's our hands in rows, which upstairs, and then there's our sanctuary. So uh, yeah, there's Larissa and I, we're wearing business casual in the new building. So um, I'll be in a sports jacket. She'll be in It's called a pencil called. skirt. It's fine. A skirt. <laughs> um, but look, it, it, there's a backdrop to the city, and, uh, and these doors on the side there on the right, are, they, they're actually, uh, they open up. So the two weeks out of the year that we can open them up, we will. Um, but it'll, it'll be, you know, one of the things our designer said is there's so much activity that happens outside the doors and they call it the outside room. And so we'll utilize that throughout the year uh, to have baptisms, to have uh, maybe a potluck. We've never had a potluck. It's a good church potluck. We need a good church potluck. Um, oh, and then this, yeah. is, this is a ramp that comes up. Uh, you see the stage right here. There's a ramp that goes up behind it. And then on around to the right, there's a second floor, which is a mezzanine of sorts that, a mezzanine that uh, will hold about two, 300 people. And so it's just gonna be a really, really, I think, cool place for us to host God's presence and uh, for people to encounter Jesus. So um, I think there may be a couple more picks. Kids space is up there too, yes? Kids space, uh, we don't have, I don't think, pictures of the kids space, but it's upstairs, and I think we almost double our kid space, so there should be plenty of room for kiddos. Uh, yes and yes. So here's why we're sharing that. Um, we are looking at getting in there first quarter of next year. There's not a, a move-in date, and I don't want to give you a move-in date because dates are just suggestions, I think. Um, it's, like, it's like your due date. Sometime around the first quarter, uh, we were gonna get in there. But um, again, it took, uh, it took twice as long to get permits. And then also from an expense standpoint, uh, we had originally forecasted around $15 million, but with supply chain and inflation, which are two words I'm learning a lot about as a pastor, uh, we're at the $18 million mark. And uh, 
to date, we've raised over eight million, which is amazing. Uh, and we, we've uh, had a conversation back in 2021. That's the last time we've talked about finances. So over the last two, a little over two years, uh, we've raised that eight and a half million, which we are so excited and like just amazed by. Uh, that eight and a half million, I learned from my team this week, there were 10 families that gave, um, there were 10 families that gave 3.6 million of the over eight. So 3.6 was given by 10 families, which is amazing. Um, but, but it also testifies to something else that um, uh, just under 5 million of that uh, was given by a whole bunch of people. Um, I believe the largest gift of the 10 families was over $50,000, if I'm right, um, which means a whole bunch of people have given small amounts. There's a, a, a lot of parts making up the whole. And, uh, and so um, we have a strategy to raise uh, an additional, hopefully, 10 plus million dollars over the course of the next couple of months. And we want to invite you into this for two reasons. One, we want you to share in the burden. Um, we want you to share in the burden of prayer and, and faith, believing that God is gonna continue to make a way. We know that he opened this up and, uh, and we, need, we need him to provide. And then the second thing is we're asking for you um, to give. And on August 20th, we're going to have a give Sunday. And uh, on that Sunday, we're going to ask two things. Um, prayerfully, how much can you give on August 20th? And then uh, also, how much could you pledge to give uh, till the end of the year? And that will just help us on our end uh, plan accordingly as we uh, get into this property. Uh, we also have an online strategy. We have a lot of people online that are watching. We love our online community. We have tens of thousands of people that are blessed by the upper room uh, each and every week. And so we have a strategy in asking them. And we're believing that God is going to provide. The Bible says, unless he builds the house, we labor in vain. And uh, we've gotten this far in faith, and we're going to continue to be in faith. But we need you to be in faith with us. Uh, next week, come, we're going to talk about the building again, and we're going to give you a special gift, which will be a, a way for you to pray for the building, um, and it will remind you of where we're going. I'm super excited about next Sunday and what we're going to give you, uh, but we wanted to invite you into the journey. Our elders met last Sunday, and we said, we've got to present this to the body and, uh, and ask them to carry this with us. So um, there's an email. If you have any questions, uh, there's an email. It's partner at uroom.org, you can email that and uh, you get more details if you need them. And then this will also uh, give you ways to give, maybe non-conventional ways, if you wanna give stock. I know there's some guys that have made a lot of money in Bitcoin. Upper room takes Bitcoin. Um, but you can email that. Uh, and let me see if I'm missing anything else that I was gonna share. Um, do you wanna share anything else, babe? I just have had this scripture on my mind in this regard. It's, I'm wondering if you can put it up for me. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's, um, it's starting in verse 5. He's, he's talking to them about preparing a gift. And um, I love that, that we're presenting this now, and we can, we can think and pray and and see what the Lord does in our hearts. 
for, the, for August 20th, but he says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Or mine says, not as a grudging obligation, mm. which I love. And then he says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse seven, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Or mine says, God loves when the giver delights in his gift. And um, I think that's our prayer for this body is that kind of like when we come into worship, we bring him an offering out of the overflow of gratitude in our hearts that that these financial gifts would be the same, um, not out of obligation or even a, an arm twisting of like, we need you. <laughs> um, but uh, what, what could you come and bring as a cheerful giver? What could you come and offer and delight in your extending the kingdom um, to see him lifted up and to see more sons and daughters come into the fullness? You know, it's interesting this weekend, um, I think just our elders and Larissa and I knew we were gonna do this and uh, a staff member who is a new staff member, his name's Chase Dirk and him and his wife Samantha are over here. Can you guys stand up? I wanna acknowledge you guys. This is our young adult pastors. Love you guys. So they came from, uh, they came from Alabama and uh, he was on staff at the ramp there with Karen and uh, just a, a, a guy I've been walking with for over a year and he has had uh, very timely dreams for me personally. And uh, Saturday night, he sent me a dream that he had. Not, he had no idea we were doing this. I don't think you did. Um, and in the dream, Jesus was at the upper room, and he was sitting criss- crisscross, and he was holding an offering plate. And sitting, sitting up here. Sitting yeah. up here, yeah. He, Chase just sends me dreams. I had a dream last night. I thought I should share it. Uh, <laughs> Jesus was taking an offering, and uh, there were loads of millennials, young people, bringing up uh, bills and then lots of change. And in the dream, Jesus was collecting all the change. He wasn't collecting the bills. And uh, the Lord told Chase this. He said, um, he said, there's a number of things that happened in the dream, but these are just highlights. He said, the Lord whispered this into Chase's ear. I don't need rich young rulers. I only need little boys with five loaves and two fishes. And, and I thought that was really... Uh, revelatory in light of what we were presenting, that we're just gonna bring him our five loaves and two fishes and watch him multiply uh, provision. And so all we're asking you to do is to pray and uh, ask what you're to bring. What five loaves, two fishes uh, are you to offer the Lord? And let's watch him multiply, not only for the upper room, but I believe for families at the upper room. To me, this is us being in faith and this soil is really good, guys. And, and as you plant seeds, uh, you get more seeds. That's um, right. And we, we give in order to give more. <laughs> it's just the life of a Christian. And so uh, what an honor to go on this journey with you guys. And so we wanted to put you in faith. We're gonna be praying about it throughout the week. Can we put up the building picture one more time? And let's just extend our hands to this project. And let's just say, yes, Lord. Lord, we just pray for this property that it would be marked off that this, Lord, would be heaven on earth, that this would uh, be a sacred place, Lord, in our city, uh, 
a heavenly intersection where heaven touches earth and many lives, Lord, encounter you in this space, God. God, you've been speaking Psalms 132 that you desire a resting place. And Father, I believe that's what this is gonna be, a resting place for you and your people and for millennials, for Gen Zers, for creatives to encounter you, for the African-American community to encounter you, for the Latin American church to encounter you. So pour out your spirit in Jesus' name and bring the provision. Amen. Amen. And Peter Slover is leading the charge in this. So Peter uh, is our executive pastor. And so would you stand up, Peter? For those that don't know, I think most everyone knows Peter Slover, but uh, pray for Peter as well. God has given Peter some divine strategies uh, to raise these funds. And so can we just extend our hands to him and say, yes, God, use your servant, Lord. We just thank him for his gifts. Thank you for his wisdom. And Father, would you put a supernatural grace upon him uh, just as you did Moses, as you did the men of old, Lord, who were given divine blueprints by you to build sanctuaries. God, we believe that you've brought Peter Slover and Nanette and his family here uh, to help build your house. And so use those hands, use that mind, Lord, to build your house. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. All right, a little housekeeping. Hey, we're gonna continue uh, a series we've been in. This is week three. Can you believe that the upper room is on week three of the same topic? Like you are at the upper room. Uh, We've been doing a topic on forgiveness. And uh, I wanna give you a resource that uh, has been extremely helpful for me. It's R.T. Kendall, and it's a book called Total Forgiveness. Uh, R.T. Kendall was, um, he ministered for 25 years at Westminster uh, Chapel uh, there in London. And uh, he had a conversation with a friend of his. He was going through one of the hardest times of his ministry. And he was lamenting to someone that was a contemporary and a friend of his, but didn't know the people in the situation, but he was just kind of dumping on him. And, and the friend looked at him and said this, RT, you must totally forgive them. Until you totally forgive them, uh, you will be in chains. Release them and you will be released. And he went on a journey to understand what total forgiveness is. And so this book has been extremely helpful uh, for me in prepping for this series. And honestly, it's just been very helpful for me personally and things that uh, I've been walking through. Uh, for the Christian, forgiveness is not optional. Forgiveness is a commandment. It's, uh, it's present progressive in the Greek when uh, Paul tells us to forgive. In Colossians chapter three, he says to forgive. It's, it's emphatic that we must forgive and we must do it in the present and we must progressively grow in our ability to forgive, which means forgiveness isn't only an act of the will in the moment. It's an act of the will that you continue to exercise as you mature in your understanding of God's forgiveness for you. And uh, in our world right now, um, forgiveness is a virtue that is really moving to the peripheral of our society because the Bible is moving to the peripheral. And uh, forgiveness is the virtue that makes Christianity Christianity. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about fathers. We're going to talk about our heavenly father and how perfect he is. Uh, We're going to look at a story that Charles Dickens, one of the greatest authors of all time, he says this is the greatest story ever told. And it's a parable that Jesus used to describe his heavenly father. Uh, Before we do that, though, I want to lay out the five steps of forgiveness that we um, learned about last week that I introduced to you last week, because forgiveness has to look like something. 
Um, forgiveness is more than just saying the words. Although it can start there, forgiveness has to be an act of the heart. And uh, for me, I truly didn't understand um, what forgiveness was until I was extremely hurt by uh, a loved one, by someone very close to me. And the deeper the wound, the, the deeper the wound and the closer the friend, the harder it is to forgive and typically the longer the process. Um, and so I'm still walking this out, but there, from my studies, I, I boiled forgiveness down to five different steps. And uh, these steps are practical, these steps are helpful, these steps will help be diagnostic tools for your heart to understand where you're at in the process of forgiveness. You don't get there overnight, sometimes it takes uh, seasons and it takes lots of prayer and it takes you submitting to the Lord every single day. It's why uh, in, the, in the Lord's prayer, the prayer we're supposed to pray every single day when Jesus said, how, you know, he was asked, how do you pray? He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But one of the things he says is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In fact, I preached last Sunday night. It was epic. I love preaching to these millennials that show up. This, this room is filled with millennials. There's just a different anointing for me personally. It's, I'm like a father to a whole bunch of young ones and was leading them to the father. They were receiving forgiveness. It was this epic night, but I usually get out early because I've got kids that I wanna to put to bed by eight and they will stay here for four to five hours worshiping and praying. And so I'm leaving and this massive storm hits. Were you here? And the Metroplex, we've lost electricity for two days, but as I'm uh, driving down Ross Avenue to my home, uh, a lady slams into the back of me. And it's pouring rain, like sideways rain, winds blowing, so I pull into an Exxon, I get out, and within like five seconds, I am drenched. It is like a, a fire hose of water. I'm trying to check my car, I can't see it. She pulls up next to me, I'm trying to holler at her, will you give me your phone number so we can talk on the phone? And she's saying, no. I'm like, just give me your phone number. We can talk on the phone. No. You hit my car. No. It's raining. No. She took off. And immediately as she takes off, I am like, I start to hear my sermon. <laughs> I start to hear my sermon. I am like, Aah! and I start to hear my sermon and it is like, or my sermon came in the form of R.T. Kendall's voice, you must totally forgive. And so I, I had to walk through the steps. I had to acknowledge the pain and the blame. I had to identify with their humanity. And then I did not know if I had damage to the back of my car, but I had to refuse to take revenge. I had to willingly endure pain. And then I, before I left, I felt like the Lord said, I want you to extend a blessing to her. And so I extend a blessing to her, I go home. And by the grace of God, there was no damage to my car. I think God may have supernaturally healed it. I don't know if he's into healing cars, just kidding. Um, but I definitely know my heart was clean because I laid these steps out. But I think sometimes we don't fully know how to lead our heart to the place of forgiveness. And to me, this number five, when you can truly bless the person that caused the pain and caused the blame, you know you've entered into forgiveness. That's, that's the caveat. That's the caveat. When, when you can like genuinely bless and you've buried the hatchet and you're no longer talking about it. When someone mentions their name, you truly can say positive things. You don't have to revisit your history with them. Um, I, I, <laughs> if you were here in 2018, you may remember the story of uh, 
of, of a man that I met who, who caused me quite a bit of heartache in high school. Um, I told you during Easter uh, that I was uh, the national seventh grade hoop it up champions. You may remember that. Um, I played basketball. I loved basketball. And uh, I played basketball with the same guy since we were uh, in elementary school. And uh, our junior year, there were high expectations. Um, I was of, of one of the point guards and was going to start. And man, our team laid an egg. Uh, we did not have a very good season. And I took the brunt of it from our coach. And this coach was a drill sergeant. He was under that mentality, old school, that if you just, if you just grind and yell and put your thumb on a player, you'll get the best out of him. Well, I was the opposite. And I just went into my shell. I got bitter towards him. And going into my senior year, I, I bailed on him. I quit. And uh, I played baseball, and, and it's a whole other story. But 25 years later, everyone say 25 years later. 25 years later, uh, in 2018, I am at an alumni baseball game, and I hear a voice. And uh, I hadn't heard this voice for 25 years. And it is Coach Jimmy Rowe. And uh, Coach Rowe, who was that basketball coach, comes up to me and he says, Mike, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. I mean, my heart just closed off to this man because of the pain that happened when I was 17 years old. And uh, we began to engage in the conversation. Didn't know why I was at an alumni baseball game, but it turned out he was a baseball coach for a short stint there. And uh, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, you're a pastor. Are you kidding me? Where are you a pastor? And I said, I have a pastor at a church called Upper Room down in Dallas. He looks up and he goes, I think my daughter goes to your church. And I said, there's no way your daughter goes to my church. That's what I'm thinking internally. And, uh, and he goes, no, uh, yeah, she traveled with uh, Heidi Baker. I said, your daughter definitely goes to our church. Um, and sure enough, I, 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 knew, I knew his daughter. It was his stepdaughter. And um, uh, the next week, I ran into her, and she said, um, hey, I heard you ran into Coach Rowe. He's my stepdad. What a cool thing that you played for him. Uh, here's his number. He wants you to reach out to him. And uh, I like said, thank you, and I was not going to reach out to him. I wasn't. And uh, two, three months went by. I ran into Carissa again, and uh, she said, hey, you didn't reach out to Coach. And I said, oh, I forgot. You know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and she said, well, he was just... He was just, uh, just had a diagnosis. Um, he has bladder cancer. Uh, he really wanted you to reach out. And uh, I, it was happened in this room, so I sat down. And not knowing this process now, but uh, I identified with Coach Rose. Can you put the stages up? We can just leave it up there. This is really good. Uh, I identified with Coach Rose's humanity. He went from being this coach to a man who had a diagnosis. And something happened in my heart, and I texted Coach. I didn't call him. <laughs> and I said, I heard about your diagnosis. He immediately responded and said, would you come pray for me? So a week later, I got in the car. I drove out to Carrollton. I walked into Coach Rowe's living room. I sat down, and Jerry, his wife, was there. And uh, she left the room. And Coach Rowe, uh, he said, hey, before we talk about my diagnosis, I want to talk about your senior year in high school. He said, there's two players I've given up on, and you were one of them. Would you forgive me for giving up on you your senior year? 25 years later, as soon as he said that, this dam breaks in my heart, and I start bawling. I said, coach, I was a punk 17-year-old. 
Will you forgive me? We both fell on our knees and we embraced and hugged. And we started this journey together where this guy, and what I realized is coaches are like father figures. Coaches are like father figures. And uh, what I realized is, 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 is the pain that that season caused my heart. I wouldn't have said that I was still carrying that pain, but God was so gracious to give me this moment with Coach Rowe. And, um, and we went on a journey for two years. That was 2018. Uh, he started to get treatments, uh, the roller coaster of cancer. Um, we thought he was uh, getting better, but in 2020, he took a turn for the worst. And during quarantine in 2020, he died. And uh, his wife called me uh, the day of his death and said, hey, Coach Rowe had one last request of you. It would be such a blessing. I remember her saying this would be a blessing to him. And when I look at this, blessing, would you do the funeral? And so April of 2020, when everyone was in quarantine, they streamed it live. There were thousands of former students and athletes watching this, and I got to share the story of being reconciled with Coach Jimmy Rowe. And I got to talk about how the Lord had done such a beautiful work in his heart, and this coach uh, had really been touched by the grace of Jesus, and he loved God, and that he is in heaven with Jesus. And I heard from so many of my friends who uh, were former athletes of him, they encountered God through our story. They were healed through the story of forgiveness. And it was just this beautiful story of redemption that took place. Isn't that cool? Um, so what's my point? My point is it's never too late. It's never too late. And, uh, and the pains of your past, man, your, your, your heart keeps a record. And uh, the Holy Spirit is, is Lord and sufficient enough um, to highlight those things that you, you may need to bring to this process. And you might not get to ever get in a living room and hug and embrace and see the fullness of reconciliation, but forgiveness isn't about reconciliation. Reconciliation is different than forgiveness. Now, ultimately, forgiveness would be unto reconciliation, but forgiveness is for you. You blessing the offender is actually you blessing yourself because you're letting go of any anger or bitterness. And uh, we saw that last week in the story of Joseph. I just wanted to highlight this one thing and then we'll look at the story again. But in the story of Joseph, uh, you can take a picture of this. This is a great uh, uh, layout of how Joseph totally forgave his brothers. Uh, Joseph was wronged by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. And Joseph in Genesis chapter 45, he walks through each one of uh, these movements. And I'm not going to walk through them uh, today, but I am going to highlight one because I think it's very important for us as a community. Um, in light of the profile that Upper Room has, in light of, um, I think, just some, some accusations that could come uh, against uh, the community, um, the accusations that may come against you personally, accusations that come against believers. Here's one of the things I really want to uphold to you. And it's... Um, it's number three. It's refusing to take revenge, uh, refusing, refusing to uh, inflict punishment based on a wrong. And one of the ways I think we do this is we continue to recite the offense that occurred. We say we forgave, but we keep bringing it up. And one of the things that Joseph does is he, has, he says, have everyone leave me. So there was no one uh, with Joseph when Joseph made himself known to his brothers because he was gonna confront his brothers. And he, his associates were removed. One, I think his associates would have avenged his blood. But the second reason is I think he was actually covering his brothers. 
And I think one of the things we need to realize is if we've truly forgiven someone, we stop talking about the offense. We stop rehashing it. We stop telling others about it. It's a true release and a burial. And so I want us to do that. I want us to be mindful of this when other people may start lamenting that, hey, find one or two people that you talk about an offense if you're still processing it, especially counselors and therapists. But uh, outside of that, just zip your lips. I think it's really important in our day and age. We, yes, I'll stop there because I want to get to the prodigal son. So go to Luke 15. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. All right, Luke 15. Charles Dickens, greatest story ever told. And I think such an applicable story for Father's Day. Um, At the end of this sermon today, you're gonna receive a father's blessing. You're gonna receive a father's blessing from a father in the house. But I wanna tell you this story about uh, the perfect father. And this is Jesus describing his own father. And I think there's one of the most... uh, descriptive, impactful, important verses about God in this story. And I'll highlight it here in just a second. But it's a parable that you're familiar with. Um, He's telling it in front of tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees. So you had uh, people on both sides. You had uh, people that didn't care about God, people that were living for themselves, and those that were self-righteous and um, extremely bound. Uh, And Jesus is going to tell a story that will impact both of them. So uh, verse 11, uh, he told a story. Um, about a man who had two sons. Uh, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Uh, So the father divided his wealth between the two sons. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Um, I'm gonna stop here just to set the context for this story. Um, the listeners would have understood that this son asking uh, a father for an early inheritance would have been offensive. Um, The inheritance was to be given after the father died and the younger son would have received uh, uh, less than the older son. So the older son would receive a double portion uh, and he would have received uh, probably a third of what his brother would have received. And the, the sin though wasn't necessarily asking for his inheritance early. The sin is actually in verse 13. Because in verse 13, when he packed up everything and he left his dad, um, this was a bold statement in Jewish culture. Uh, He was basically committing uh, uh, patricide is what I've heard it described as, which means he was killing his father. He was saying, Father, I I am walking away from the family. I am disowning you and I am taking the things that you gave me. I'm gonna start my own life. So it wasn't necessarily him spending and, and living the way that he lived. The sin is that he betrayed the father. He betrayed the family. He disowned the family. This was a deep mark, not only between the father and the son, but upon the family, specifically in the community, um, that this son would do it to a dad. You know, one of the commandments, 10 commandments, is to honor your father and mother. And this was not honoring. This was the opposite of that. And it was actually, according to the law in Deuteronomy, it was worthy of death. Uh, if a son did this and returned, uh, the community had rights to stone the son. So this was a significant slap in the face to the father. Are you following me? So verse 14, um, here's, here's the blame. Here's what he did. Uh, the son not only took everything, but uh, he had spent everything. And a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. 
Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would greatly fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, uh, and no one was giving him anything to him. But when he came to his senses, when he sobered up, when he realized his plight, he said this, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. So when he comes to his senses, uh, he realizes that he's the one to blame for his pain. Put up our... Can you put up the second one that we worked on? So he's the one to blame for his pain. So he's identifying with his own brokenness and he has a choice here. He has a choice and we all have a choice because one of the things that I see in in regards to forgiveness is you learning to forgive yourself. You following me? So you have a choice here. When you identify with your own humanity and you acknowledge the pain and the blame of yourself, you can move towards healing or you can move towards harm. And this young man's thinking, he's moving towards harm because here's, here's what's happening. He's coming to terms with what he did, but he is now justifying how he can make it right. He is taking on the guilt himself. You can hear it right here. He says, I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm giving up my right to be a son. So here's, in order to pay the penalty that I am gonna live under, I'm gonna become a slave. I'm not gonna be your son anymore. So forever, I'll be known as a slave and not your son because I've broken trust. This is what guilt does. We start to pay the penance internally. This is a guilty conscience. Now, as guilt ensues and guilt remains, guilt ultimately turns into shame. Guilt ultimately turns into shame. Guilt has to do with the action. I'm guilty for what I did. Shame has to do with your identity. Shame, shame marks you to the core. And so shame is you willingly enduring the caused pain. You living with a guilty conscience, inevitably you will be clothed with shame. Now, shame plus, guilt plus shame always equal condemnation, which isn't living under blessing. It's actually living under the curse that sin inflicts. So this is what unforgiveness does to an individual and it actually induces self-hatred. Does everyone follow this? So this is where the young man found himself. And at some point, everyone in this room will find themselves in a place where guilt confronts them and they have to respond to that guilt. Now, religion says clean up. Religion says get better. You're gonna see someone living under a guilty conscience and it's the older brother. And truthfully, in a room like this, in a room like this, we relate more to him than we actually do the brother in the far off country. Because the older brother was in the house, but he wasn't connected to the heart of the father. And so the son comes up with this plan. Based on guilt, based on his plight, he comes up with a plan. He's gonna come to his father and say, listen, I'm unworthy to be your son. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against God. Make me a slave. Verse 20. So with this plan in mind, he got up, 
and he came to his father. Now, I think the words I'm about to read, the next sentence, is the most descriptive, informative, and impactful scripture that you can read about God through the lens of Jesus. The commentary of God from his son. Look at this verse. While this son was coming to his father, and he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He felt compassion for him. He ran to him, he embraced him, and he kissed him. Oh, you guys didn't get excited enough again. I'm gonna read this verse again. Can I, can I stand right here? Okay. I want you to hear this verse. There's a boy who squandered all his wealth. He comes to his father. He's guilt-ridden, condemned, filled with shame, embarrassed, doesn't know how his father's gonna respond. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. Do you know, this is you in the story. While you were an enemy of God, he sent his son to run to you and to embrace you in that state. This is such a powerful verse about God's nature and his heart posture towards you. He doesn't have a long finger extended to you. He has open arms ready to embrace you. Now we look at what the son does in verse 21. The son confesses. He says, Father, I've sinned in heaven. He goes through his script. I'm no longer sinned against uh, heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy called your son. But I want you to see that the kiss preceded the confession. The kiss preceded the confession. The embrace preceded the confession. And the father doesn't say this. He doesn't say, uh, go get cleaned up, son. Come and present yourself to the estate. This is what he says. The father, he says, quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, put sandals on his feet, and bring out the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and let us celebrate. The father throws a party. You see, the father, can you go to the other... uh, five steps, because I wanted you to see where the father begins. The father begins with blessing the son. The father had already refused to take revenge. He was willingly endure the pain by standing on the porch every night, and he could not wait to release a blessing to that one that was in the far country. And if you're in the far country this morning, if you're in the far country, if you feel distant from your father in heaven, maybe you've been wronged by an earthly father. Maybe your father in the natural world is religious and put high expectations on you that you just could never meet. The bar was too high. I want you to know that your heavenly father's not that way. I want you to know the heavenly father is waiting on the porch and he wants to put a ring on your finger, a robe on your back and sandals on your feet. This was a significant blessing that he would give the son, and I'll talk about that here in a second, but I wanna talk about the older brother uh, because the older brother was in the field, and in verse 25, um, he heard the noise, he, he heard the dancing, and so he comes to one of the servants, and he says, hey, what's happening out there? And in verse 27, it says, your brother has come home, and your father's killed a fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Now, look at the older brother's reaction to the father's response to the younger son it provoked anger in his heart. 
It provoked anger in his heart. Why did it provoke anger? That's an interesting emotion for it to provoke. Now we're talking about forgiveness and pain causes anger. The first emotion you have when you're wronged is pain. So the, the older brother felt wrong because of the father's response to the younger son. He felt like it was an injustice. Why? Because he related to the father based on what he was doing for the father. He, he, he was disconnected from the father and he gets angry and he gets angry not at the son, he gets angry at the father. And he wasn't willing to go into the party. And so you know what the father does that ran off the porch to the broken younger son? The father doesn't stay in the party. He comes out for the older son as well. This is the father that we have. He approaches us, whether we're religious or rebellious, he's coming after us. Now the truth is, is that the rebellious one actually received the approach of the father more than the religious one because the religious one had made the father into someone that he wasn't. And the father comes out and he pleads with his son, but look at how disconnected the older brother was from this process. He cannot identify with the humanity of his brother. Look at this. In verse 29, the older brother answered the father and said, look, for many years I have been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours and yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, it wasn't even his brother, this son of yours, he's offended at his father. He devoured your wealth with prostitutes. You killed a fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Now look at how intentional the father is. For this brother of yours, he was leading him to forgiveness. He was connecting him to the relational dynamic. I am your father and this is your brother. He was dead and he's now come to life. He was lost and he's been found. Now, if the older brother was actually going to yield to the commandment of the father, he would have honored his father and submitted and trusted his father. But the truth is, is that he was so disconnected from his father's heart. And I feel like so many prodigals who have returned haven't, met by, haven't been met by the heart of a forgiving father. They've been met actually by the judgment of an older brother. And I think we need to respond to people, whether it's the religious people or the rebellious people, with a heart that's ready to forgive. It's ready to embrace. It's ready to bestow what the father bestowed upon the son. Um, for time's sake, there's a couple more things I wanna say, but I'm gonna ask our fathers to come up. I've asked a handful of fathers to give blessings. Would you guys come up behind me? And uh, you're gonna receive a blessing this morning from these fathers. I've, the friends of mine and fathers in the house. And um, they're gonna bless you. Uh, it's Father's Day, amen? And the father actually blesses the prodigal with three things. 
Uh, the first thing he gives him is a robe. And from, uh, from a Hebrew standpoint, you may remember Joseph's robe. It was a robe of many colors. And it was a designation of favor. It was a designation of being distinguished. It was probably the best robe that he had. So he put that on and it was an identity piece that my son, who was rebellious, is now in the house and I'm putting my identity upon him. Uh, the second thing he gives him is uh, sandals. And uh, slaves did not wear shoes. So him putting sandals on the feet, it was restoring his dignity. It was restoring purpose uh, back to the son. So he gives him identity, he gives him dignity. And then the last thing he puts upon him is a ring. It's a signet ring, which represents the authority of the father that he was able to uh, handle the father's affairs right out of the gates. He gives him identity, dignity, and authority. And um, we live in a fatherless society today. It's an epidemic. Um, this identity crisis that we're seeing play out where uh, boys don't know if they're boys, girls don't know if they're boys, the sexuality confusion, um, which we're gonna dive deep in into the fall. We're not gonna hide. We don't hide from cultural topics. We go after them, we're gonna go after that. But, but one of the reasons why is because we, we, we don't have a strong presence of fathers. And fathers, our role is to release identity upon our children. We are to see who God has designed them to be and we are to declare those things. There is power in your blessing. I look at my sons every night. I started doing this through this series and I, I used to pray for them all the time. I may still pray, but I feel like the greatest thing I can give my sons specifically, and I do this to my daughters, but I've been doing it to my little sons, is I wanna tell you who you are. You're growing up to be a mighty man of God. You're a man of integrity. You're a man that isn't gonna walk in fear. You're courageous. I speak to the core of who he is. And my little five-year-old, the reason I'm doing it to my boys, my little five-year-old, his eyes get big as saucers. It's just like a, it's like, dad, I need this. My soul, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what this means, but something's coming alive inside of me. And I want you to know that your heavenly father does the same thing. He sent a spirit. It's that Romans 8, 15, what we were talking about. He sent a spirit inside of you that cries out, Abba. Why does it cry out, Abba? Because your heart desires to hear from your father. It cries out so that you can receive the blessing of the father. He wants to bless you. And there's an authority that comes from hearing and knowing his voice. It is important for you to know who he designed and called you to be and for you to live from that. It breaks off the fear of man. It breaks off you trying to be someone you're not. When you can truly get the perspective of the Father to you, receive his forgiveness, give it to yourself, be established in the identity that he's given you, that's evangelism. That's attractive. That's a testament. And boy, is our culture longing for that. Boy, is our culture longing for that. So here's five mighty men of God, fathers in the faith in this house. And I've asked them just to release blessings over you. As they're doing this, I wanna encourage you to posture yourself to receive. Some of you need a blessing from your father. You may need to stand up. You may need to get on your knees. You can come down to the carpet, however the Lord would uh, lead you. But these guys are gonna boldly proclaim God's blessing over you. And then we're gonna move into a time of worship. Michael asked me to do this I was so humbled and so I went to the father yesterday and um, I'm gonna give you this blessing uh, as he gave it to me as I would give it to my kids uh, so it may not sound churchy or feel churchy but it's from my heart this is what I would say what I believe the father is saying to us this morning 
Come here. Come close to me. Let me look at you and let me wash you with my words. My precious son, my daughter, you amaze me. I've missed having you this close to me. There's no one else in our family just like you. You are so wonderful to me. And you know our family wouldn't be the same without you. You belong right here in my love. From now on, I bless you to know deep down in your heart that everything I have, all of my power, my love, my grace, and my resources, they also belong to you. I bless you with the ability to enjoy being my son, my daughter. My sons and daughters, it was from the beginning of time that my heart burned to be one with you, to bless you, to love you, to protect you, to set you free. I long for you to see yourself rightly, how I see you. But first, I want you to know how I feel about you. Hear my heart. I have chosen you, I have created you, I am presently giving you the very oxygen in your lungs. Be at rest, my sons and daughters. The king is in your midst. I'm not like any other king or ruler you have heard of. I'm gentle and lowly. I am patient and kind. I'm close and I really, really love you. I love being your father. As for what I think about you, the very thought of you brings a smile to my face. I want you to know a secret though. You bring me no surprises, but that's good news for you. I see your worst days and I see your best days. There is nothing you can do to make me love you any less, but there is also nothing you can do to make me love you anymore. You are my sons and daughters, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Today, I bless you. Receive my blessing. So everybody, what I'm gonna read is just from the scriptures, and the Lord declared this over us and wrote this down thousands of years ago, and it hasn't changed in thousands of years. It's the same today. I call you my sons and my daughters because I gave you this right to be my children because you have received my son. When I see you, I see my son. As my son is before me now, so are you the same before me while you are in this world. I chose you before the foundation of the world. You are in my son. When my son was baptized, and the spirit landed upon him, I said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When I spoke this about my son, I spoke this about you, my sons and daughters. So today I declare that you are my beloved son and you are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And remember that I have not dealt with you according to your sin nor have I punished you according to your iniquity. 
I punished my son already. That was enough. I have given you my spirit. You have love. You have joy. You have peace. You have patience. You have kindness. You have faithfulness. You have goodness. You have gentleness. And you have self-control. Dare to believe this about how I see you now and do this one thing. Forget your past. Press on to what lies ahead. I want everyone to, to close their eyes and I want them to think of a time in your life when you were young. And when when things seemed perfect, when you were a kid, before you knew the world, I want you to think of that time and I want you to hear the Father say, I want you to hear him say, I knew you then. Then I want you to hear him say, I know you now. Your sins are forgiven. No questions asked. No explanations needed. You are mine and I am yours. Find refuge in me. All that I have is yours. Your inheritance is the kingdom and your seat is at the table. You are no longer slaves and you never were. You were created in my image, perfect, without blemish. The sacrifice has been made and receive my blessing and celebrate with me and who I am and what I've done in your lives. Today I change your garments. I take off shame off your life and put on a mantle of royalty over your head. Here is your crown. Receive it and walk with joy because you belong. You are seen, you are valued, you are loved. My love for you can only grow. It will never stop. It will never settle. It has no end. My love for you, it's unique. I died for you. At the cross, you were in my mind, and you will always be. Lift up your head because you are forgiven from all sin. You will no longer carry with guilt. Today, I change your perspective. You will see yourself from the lens of heaven. I deliver you from trying to please others and from trying to find happiness, happiness in other places. I can fulfill every need you've ever had and every need you will ever have. My covenant with you will remain through eternity, my beloved child. I have always wanted to be one with you. I release strength to endure hardships. You will walk on your way securely and your 
and your feet will not stumble. I bless you with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, would you be standing?